Tonight we'd like to look at a portion of David's life that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 19. But before we begin in chapter 19, I'd like to look at the last verse of chapter 18. Then the scriptures was first recorded. Uh, it was not divided up into chapters and verses. I, I like that it is because I was just able to tell you something where you can just go right straight to where I'm at. Otherwise, it would be very difficult. But the thing you always need to be cautious about is oftentimes what ends one chapter flows right into another chapter. Doesn't always start something brand new. In the last verse of chapter 18, it says, And David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, and his name was much set by. And the middle reference of your Bible, if you have one like this, will tell you that expression, his name is much set by, means precious. Now, in the sight of all the Israelites up to this time, the name of David was very precious. There was one man, however, that his name was not precious to, and that was Saul. And the reason it wasn't is because he allowed envy to control his life. He became envious and jealous of David and all the things that David had accomplished. But to all the Israelites, David behaved himself so wisely that when the name David was mentioned, they thought about deliverance. It was David who had been defeating the Philistines. It was David who defeated Goliath the giant. It was David who came and played the harp when an evil spirit came upon Saul. In other words, David was a great blessing to the nation of Israel. And his name, when people heard it, these are the thoughts that they had. Now that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you hear the name Jesus, it should stir your emotions. The name Jesus should stir your mind, your emotions, your heart. It should bring warm feelings with inside of you. And just hear the name Jesus. You say, well, why is that, Brother Lawrence? Well, his name means salvation. His name means Savior. When I think of Jesus, I think of salvation. When I think of Jesus, I think about deliverance. When I think of Jesus, I think about the perfection of compassion, the perfection of caring. When I think of the name Jesus, I associate with all those wonderful things. We find in Hebrews 1.3 where it says that he hath obtained a more excellent name than all the angels. Now the name Gabriel and Michael are the only two names of angels given to us in Scripture, but what you know about Gabriel and Michael is very favorable. But Christ has a name that's more excellent than their names. And we find in Philippians 2.9 where it says, For he has given him a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the book of Acts 4 and 14, you'll find where the apostles declared there was no other name given among men in heaven or earth whereby we must be saved. If you go to the end of chapter 5, you'll find where the apostles who had been preaching the gospel since the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ had been met with much opposition on every turn. They'd been arrested, they'd been beaten, they'd been put in prison. We'll find as we get to chapter 12 where James will be the first martyr. But as of chapter 5, we find where they've been beaten, put in prison, and commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. See, the name Jesus didn't mean to the chief priests, scribes, and elders of the Jewish people what it meant to those disciples. Totally different, you see. 
And so after they had been commanded not to speak in his name, and they had been beaten and put in prison and released, it says they rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. That name Jesus meant so much to them that they were willing to be beaten. They were willing to suffer and be put in prison. They were willing to spin and be spent. They were willing to hazard their lives for the name of Jesus. So the name of David was much set by, and his name was precious to everyone except Saul. So we start chapter 19 out, and it says, Saul instructed Jonathan, his son, his oldest son, who we know at this point has become good friends with David, and all the servants that they, Jonathan and the servants, were to kill David if they had the opportunity. What a contrast that is. His name was much set by and precious in the sight of all the people except Saul. And now in contrast to that, Saul still intends to kill David. Now he, now he brings it out in the open. Now it's out in the public. Prior to this, Saul had done several things to try to kill David that people might not have noticed. First of all, he had taken his javelin and thrown at him twice and missed him both times. He then sent him out to the Philistines. He said, well, I'm unsuccessful, but I'll send him out to battle the Philistines, and, and they'll kill him. So that was his next plan, you know, that they would kill him. But that didn't work either. So everything he tried to kill David, we find that God's providence in the life of David was protecting him. I want you to see tonight in chapter 19 the providence of God in a little different way than perhaps you've seen it before. The word providence means the act of providing. There's the general providence of God, the ordinary providence of God that you've enjoyed today. Now, I know it's hot, but still the sunshine is, is a welcome thing. Now, we need some rain. Uh, it's been two weeks exactly today since we got any rain at my house. And with this weather we've gotten and the heat and everything else, that's, that's a pretty long time to go without rain. But I know God has sent the rain in the past. No, God can send the rain today. So I need to be praying that God might be pleased to do that. And we need to be praying for that, right? Because without the sunshine and the rain, this world couldn't exist. You ever thought about that? Just those two things. The sunshine and the rain. That's, it takes those two things for things to, to grow. Takes those two things for life to exist on this earth. And I wonder how many people percentage-wise in this world ever think about that. They've seen the sun rise and set many days in their lives. They've seen rain come down from the sky many days in their life. How many people you think thank the Lord for the sunshine and the rain? You know, you go to Matthew 5 and 45, and the Lord Jesus Christ tells his disciples, he says, you know, he's first of all teaching them how we are to Pray for those who despitefully use us and love our enemies, etc. He says, for even he allows the sunshine on the good and the evil and sends his rain on the just and the unjust. Notice the unjust and the evil benefit from the rain and the sunshine like the just do and the good do. God's a great God, isn't he? A good God. He, he waters this entire planet which benefits the wicked as well as the righteous. He sends the sunshine upon this entire planet which blesses is a benefit to the wicked and the evil just as much as the righteous and the good. Now, he commands, he's out in the open now, he tells Jonathan, 
and the servants that they are to kill David. If have opportunity, they're to kill David. He makes it known now. It's out in the open. Well, the first person that we're going to see concerning the providence of God is David's friend, Jonathan. Now remember, Jonathan's just been told by Saul that if he has opportunity, he's to slay David. But Jonathan goes to Saul, excuse me, to David and warns him about his father's threat. Now remember, Jonathan is the oldest son of Saul. Jonathan is the heir apparent. He would normally follow in the footsteps of Saul. Once Saul's reign as king was over, if he died, whatever the case might be, then his oldest son, in this case, Jonathan, would be the next king of Israel. Now David is a threat to that. But Jonathan and David are close friends. Now, when you study the subject of friendship in the Bible, um, it's very important uh, that we pay attention to the principles involved in that. And you'll find them mostly in the book of Proverbs. David's son Solomon wrote about it. You find in Psalms, uh, Proverbs 18, 14, where it says, A friend loveth at all times. See, David was not a fair-weather friend to Jonathan, and Jonathan was not a fair-weather friend to David. They were friends every single day, no matter what come up, no matter what happened, no matter what the circumstances, they were, they were friends that sticketh closer than a brother. We're told that if a man hath friends, he must show himself to be friendly. That makes sense, doesn't it? In other words, you've got to be a friend to have a friend. And David was friendly, and Jonathan was friendly. We find in the 27th proverb, it says that faithful the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And then we find another place where Solomon says, that as iron sharpeneth iron, so a man's countenance sharpened that of his friend. In other words, just saying, like when I got here tonight and saw each one of you, it brightened my day. Uh, you know, I like seeing you. <laughs> I, I like shaking hands with you. I like seeing the Lord's people. I like seeing my, my Lord's family. I like seeing my church family right here. And it just kind of puts a, a smile on my face, you see. Now, this is the kind of friendship in all of literature, not just the Bible, but in all of literature, there's not a greater example of true friendship that you will find than that of David and Jonathan. Now, the first thing that David tells Jonathan is, he reveals the plan of his father Saul. Now, this is his father that he's talking about. And he tells David that his father has given this command for him to be slain. And then he tells David to hide himself in a secret place. He gives David counsel and gives David advice. Then he tells David, I'm going to go talk to my father about this. He says, you hide while I go into the field and talk with my father. And that's what Jonathan does. Now, Jonathan, once again, I emphasize, has just received instructions from his father that he should be making an effort to kill David. See, see, Jonathan is risking the very wrath of his father to do this. But that's what friends do, right? See, a friend is going to do whatever he can to help you. If a friend sees you doing something you shouldn't do or going in a direction you shouldn't go, a real friend will, will approach you and talk to you about it, even though he might risk your friendship. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It's those who flatter you all the time you've got to be concerned about. See, a friend is not going to flatter you all the time. A friend will encourage you. A friend will try to do the best he can to help you. 
But a true friend won't flatter you all the time because there's going to be times he may have to, you know, take you aside and, and express a warning to you. So here we find where Jonathan goes to his father Saul. And he tells Saul everything that David's good, that David's done, brother, and everything that David's done has been good. There's not been one thing that David's done that has been harmful to Saul personally or to the nation of Israel. Notice the wording here in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 4. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father. Right after Saul has told him to kill David, he speaks good of David to his father. And said of him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and slew the Philistines, he's talking about Goliath here, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all of Israel. The entire nation of Israel was delivered from the Philistines when David slew Goliath. David represented the entire army. Now I made that doctrinal point, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. When he laid down his life on Calvary, he obtained the salvation of all the elect family of God because he represented us. I didn't help him, you didn't help him, we couldn't help him. Nobody helped David, nobody went out and assisted David, nobody went out there and, and done anything. It was David altogether, wasn't it? It was David from first to last, beginning to end, just like the Lord. It's of, it's of the Lord from beginning to end, from first to last. He represented us. As Adam represented us in the transgression, we all died. Jesus Christ represented us in the work of salvation. Now we've all been delivered, you see. So he reminds Saul about that. And he says, thou sawest it. He said, you looked at it. You saw him slay that Philistine. You were up on the hill. You saw the battle. It didn't last long, but you saw it. And did rejoice. He said, at that time, you were happy. You saw it, and you were happy. And didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? He said, you don't have a cause to slay David. If you slay David, you slay innocent blood. And you don't have a cause because he's innocent. He's never done one thing. So what's going to be Saul's reaction? And Saul hearkened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul sware, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. Now, when you think of the providence of God, it's real easy to see God's providence. For example, when Daniel was delivered out of the den of lions, right? You know, he was delivered out of the den of lions. The king came the next morning and said, Oh, Daniel, is the God whom thou servest able to deliver thee from the, from the lions? He says, My God sent an angel last night who shut the mouths of the lions. That's easy to see God's providence, isn't it? And when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the, uh, there with the Hebrew children in that fiery furnace, the king put three in. He looked in there. He saw four. One was like the Son of God. And they was all walking around in that furnace. You can see the providence of God in that real easily, can't you? Real obvious case and examples of God's providence. But have you ever thought about the providence of God in this? How that God had brought David into favor with Jonathan. And Jonathan, the king's oldest son, befriended David. He's warned David. He's given David counsel advice, where to go and where to hide. Whereas he goes, talks to his father. And now he speaks to Saul. You might imagine that Saul would have been angry at Jonathan. That Saul would have said, did I not just tell you that we are to kill this man? Why are you coming telling me all that? But for a moment, 
Saul had a little sanity. He listened. He says, as the Lord thy God liveth, David shall not be killed. So he makes an oath. But you see, I've already read where an oath was pretty meaningless with Saul. I've already read at least twice earlier where Saul made an oath and didn't keep either one of them. Saul's not a truthful man. You know, the Bible teaches us it's better never to make an oath and not keep it. You'd be better off not to make the oath to begin with. Right? A vow, as the Bible teaches it. So Saul makes a vow, but it's meaningless. Now, this by contrast, let's take David, for example. Now, David has done nothing but good for Saul and for Israel. Has he been appreciated by Saul? Do you find one word in here where Saul ever thanked David? Do you find one word in here where he ever commended David, pat him on the back, said, you've done a great job, David? No, but you know what David keeps doing? He keeps doing his job. He keeps doing his job. This teaches us about the character of David, how David's a man of great integrity. But Saul's right the opposite. No integrity at all. No appreciation for what this man has done. Envy and jealousy has arisen and now controls his life. And Jonathan called David and Jonathan showed him all those things and Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in time past. Now what this did do is bring David back to the palace, brings David back to the court. And there was war again and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter and they fled from him. Now what's Saul's reaction now? <laughs> he just got through saying David should not be killed but now the Philistines have come David has defeated him once again. Now David's right, and Saul's right back to his old self. Notice, and the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. Here's this man just defeated the Philistines once again, and he's playing the harp to soothe the feelings of Saul, and Saul has his javelin. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Now, I'm going to pause here just for a second. Many of David's experiences that we uh, have already covered and are covering tonight, you will find these in the Psalms. The more you read and study David's life, the more the Psalms will mean to you. And the more you study the Psalms, the more David's life, as you study that, will mean to you. And we're going to look, Lord willing, in just a few minutes at the 59th Psalm. But when I read the Psalms and I think about David and his life and how he has behaved himself wisely and how the Lord has been with him. See, I see the Lord in his providence has blessed David to slay a bear and a lion with his bare hands. He grabbed him by the beard, he said, and, and rescued a lamb. That's the providence of God. When he slew the Philistines, that was the providence of God. When he slew Goliath, that's the providence of God. But now I see the providence of God in David's life and see how God has protected him in a different way. He's protecting him, first of all, with his, son, with his friend, rather, Jonathan. Jonathan has interceded on behalf of David. And for at least a little while, Saul's wrath has been pulled back. But now when he gets news, once again, how the Philistines came in war against him and David went out as a soldier and defeated them, his wrath comes back to the forefront once again. Now, you can go read 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, and you'll find where David said, The Lord is my rock 
He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He'll say, God is my salvation. God is my refuge. God is my buckler. All these expressions David uses to describe what God is to him. He's just giving us a picture here how he knows God has delivered him and protected him throughout his lifetime. You'll also find it in the 18th Psalm, in the opening verses of Psalm 18. Now one verse I want you to remember tonight, and I want you to remember as we move along in the study of David, is found in Psalms 31, verses 14 through 16. You'll find here where David writes, and he says, My times are in thy hands. He says, I will trust in the Lord and he shall deliver me from mine enemies. My times are in thy hand. And he shall deliver me from the hand of mine enemies. My times are in thy hand. You see, David is putting his full trust in the Lord. Yes, Jonathan has been a blessing to David. Jonathan has been a friend to David. He's been a blessing to David. Jonathan uh, is being used of God, I think, providentially to help David here. But see, David, I'm sure, was appreciative of this, but David's trust is not in Jonathan. David's trust is in the Lord. Saul also sent messengers, verse 11, unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. Here's another person in David's life. Who is she? She's Saul's daughter. Saul's oldest son, his oldest daughter, are helping David against their father's wishes and their father's evil, evil intent. This is blood, flesh and blood we're talking about here, right? Now, he's married to her, you know, as a result of him killing the Philistine giant, Goliath. That was one of the things promised him. And so now David is the king's son-in-law. Saul wants to slay his son-in-law. He wants to slay his oldest daughter's husband. He wants to slay his oldest son's best friend. And so he sends messengers because he anticipated David, no doubt, would go back to his house where his wife was at. But his wife warns him somewhere how along the line she gets wind of this and she warns him that his life will be taken if he doesn't escape at night. Listen to the wording. And David's wife told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. That reminds me of a couple other situations. Remember in Joshua chapter 2, where Joshua sent two spies into the land of Canaan, and once they got into Canaan, where did they go? They went to the house of Rahab the harlot, and Rahab took them in. And news got out. Somebody saw him, and news got out to the king of Jericho, and he came and questioned Rahab. And Rahab said, yes, they were here, but they're gone now. And she had them hid on the rooftop with, uh, rooftop with stalks of flax. She hid them. Now somebody says, well, she wasn't being honest, was she? No, she wasn't. She wasn't being truthful, was she? No, she wasn't. And I've found people who have criticized Rahab because they said she didn't tell the truth. I've never had a problem with that. Let me just ask you a question tonight. If someone broke into your house... And you hid your family in the cellar, we'll say. And you know they had evil intent to harm not only you, but your wife and your children. Are you going to say, well, I can't tell a lie. Yeah, they're all down there in the cellar. Everyone, my wife's down there, my children down there, my grandchildren down there. They're in the cellar. You going to do that? 
I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell them where they're at. If he says where they're at, I'm going to say, well, they left an hour ago to go shopping. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. <laughs> okay? I don't know why people have a problem with that. She says, they're gone. And when these people leave, she then talks to the messenger. She says, we heard how God delivered you, you know, out of the land of Egypt across the Red Sea and how he delivered you from the two kings of the Amorites. We heard all that. And it caused our hearts to melt. And our hearts fainted. She says, and we know that there is no God in heaven or earth like your God. And because of that, she and her household were delivered. And you know what she ended up doing? She let them over the wall by a scarlet cord. In the ninth chapter of Acts, you're going to find where Saul has had his Damascus Road experience. And after the Lord deals with him, he goes on down to Damascus. And he preaches down there in Damascus. And you'll find where the Jews in Damascus now are so angry at Paul that they are seeking to destroy Paul and Saul at this time and to take his life. You know what the disciples did? They let Saul down in a basket over the wall. <laughs> Here's three cases where people delivered through a window, through a window, and over the wall to escape. And that's what she does here. The Lord providentially, see, is working now through another person. I'd like to say to you tonight... I hope that you don't go through life without pausing every once in a while and thank God for the friends you've got. I hope you don't go through life and not pause from time to time and take a look at some of the friends that God has put in your life who've done extraordinary things for you and special things for you that at the time you may have expressed your appreciation but thought no more about it than that. But perhaps these friends did far more than that. Maybe the Lord put some of these friends in your pathway. For a reason, just like he did Jonathan, just like he did Michael. Now remember, these are two children of Saul here. This is his oldest son and his oldest daughter. And they've gone against flesh and blood to help David. This is what I call the extraordinary providence of God. We looked at the general and ordinary providence of God, the sunshine, the rain. But now we're looking at how God can providentially intervene on behalf of a nation. He can providentially intervene on behalf of a family. He can providentially intervene on behalf of a church. And oftentimes he providentially intervenes on behalf of individuals. We're all recipients of God's providence here tonight. More than just the ordinary providence of God. I'm telling you, God has been with me. And I could relate in a number of experiences here tonight. Where if God had not intervened on my behalf, I'd have left this world a long time ago. I don't know how many times God's delivered me along the highway I don't even know anything about. I've driven well over a million miles in my lifetime. <laughs> so far, never been in a so far, never been in a serious automobile accident. Had a few fender benders. But no serious automobile accident. I know I've had close calls. I know some of them personally. I mean I witnessed it and I, and I know I've had some I wasn't even aware of. So here's this woman here. And Michael. Let David down through the window, and Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. In other words, she puts it like a dummy in the bed. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. Well, that wasn't truth. And Saul sent the messenger again to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed, that I may slay him. And when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster, 
And Saul said to Michael, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy? And he's escaped. And Michael answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go. Why should I kill thee? Well, David didn't say that. So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. Now you're going to see one of the most amazing things to me concerning the providence of God in these following verses. First of all, where did David go? David went to to Samuel, who had been his friend. It was Samuel that identified him among the eight sons, through God's help, of course, the eight sons of Jesse as to be the king of Israel. It was Samuel who told David and gave him a little information, a little light, that the day would come in which the kingdom would be his, and he'd be the ruler in the kingdom, you see. So he goes to his friend. And where they go to, there are prophets, and the prophets are prophesying. Now here's the picture I get out of all this. David went to somewhere where he could worship and pray and get counsel and get wisdom in his current situation in life as he has escaped narrowly his life being taken on several occasions. To me, that's a picture of the church. When I come here to the church, it's a place of separation where I can separate myself from the world, where I can come and I can worship and I can pray and I can praise God and I can be in a comfortable environment. And for at least a few minutes of time, my mind is taken all the way from the news, all the way from the events that's going on in this world. And for at least a little bit period of time, I can think, well, everything's just right. (laughs) It's when I get home that I find out I was wrong. (laughs) But while I'm here, and that's the situation, David has separated himself. I find the Lord Jesus Christ did that. You go to Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and you see where the Lord Jesus Christ went into a, a solitary place where he prayed all night. Later, you'll find where he went into a mountain. He prayed all night long in that mountain, separated from the multitudes. And the very next day is when, among the disciples, he chose his 12 apostles. That's a lesson there. When you get ready to make a serious and a big decision, you don't need to do it without separating yourself away from the world here and praying to the Lord about it. Jesus separated himself. I need to separate myself. You need to separate yourself. You need to enter into your own closet, in other words. You understand what I'm saying, right? So that's what David has done. David has done the wise thing. He surrounded himself with godly individuals, with Samuel and the prophets, where they were at, prophesying. And the word prophesying here can mean more than just the future, the foretelling future events. It actually can mean singing and praising God. That's what they're doing here. Now listen, and it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. (laughs) Everything Saul's tried up to now has failed miserably. But he doesn't give up, just like the devil doesn't give up. You know why the devil wanted David dead? You know why Satan wanted David dead? Because David had been such a great blessing to Israel. David had slain Goliath and given him a great victory. He slew the Philistines on numerous occasions. He gathered up the majority of the money that he would help Solomon, his son, uh, with in building the temple. He one day would reign for 40 years as king over Israel, and through him and his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ would come into this world. That's why the devil wanted David slain. That's why the devil is operating in the mind and heart of this man named Saul, you see. He's operating today. Oh, is he ever operating today? 
So he sends messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of prophets prophesying, and Samuel stands appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messenger of Saul, and they also prophesied. Now, why were they there? They were there to take David. What are they doing now? They're praising God. <laughs> so what's Saul do? He sends more messengers a second time. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers. I wonder what Saul thought. That's not why I sent them over there. I sent them over there to get David. And now they're all just praising God over there. He sent other messengers. And they prophesied likewise. Same results. And Saul sent messengers in the third time. They prophesied also. Same results. Then when he also to Ramah, he, now he's going himself personally. And came to a great wells in Sukkah. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Naoth and Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied till he came to Naoth and Ramah. <laughs> Saul sent messengers three times. He finally went himself. The whole thing was to get David. And they all wind up prophesying. They all wind up praising God. In other words, God overcame all this by the Spirit of God. He didn't send an army to protect David. He didn't send fire and hell and brimstone down from heaven to protect David. He didn't send angels down to protect David. He sent an overwhelming influence of the Holy Ghost, my friends, the Holy Spirit of God to protect David. He turned warriors into worshipers. I can't tell you how I felt when I saw that. I can't tell you what, what came over me, really, when I, when I read that and saw that. You know, I read so many places where God did this and God did that. He sent an angel to deliver Daniel. He sent his son to deliver the Hebrew children. There's times when he sent fire down. Remember the messengers that Elijah received over there in 2 Kings chapter 1? When the king sent messengers, uh, a captain and 50 people in the, uh, under the captain to where uh, Elijah was to get him and bring him there. And God sent fire down from heaven and consumed them all. Then he sent a captain of 50 and 50 more men, and God sent fire down from heaven and consumed them all. And then the third captain got over there. He decided he'd try humility over arrogance. The first two captains tried arrogance and demanded for Elijah to come down. Third one come over and says, listen, you've already destroyed two captains and 100 people. It, would you please come with me? <laughs> and, and David, I mean, excuse me, Elijah, the Lord said, you can go with him, Elijah. I tell you, a little humility will go a long ways. Arrogance don't get to first base. God sent the Spirit and turned warriors into worshipers. In summary here tonight, as we look at the life of David thus far, we see a man as described in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He was a man that was cunning and playing. He was a courageous, valiant man. He was a man of war. He was a prudent man, a comely man. And the Lord was with him. If you remember, when we went over that, the most important thing said about David was the Lord was with him. And we saw how the Lord was with him as a teenage boy uh, coming, uh, rescuing the lamb from the ball, the bear, and the paw of the lamb. We saw him being delivered uh, against the Philistine giant, still a teenager. And now we've seen in this chapter how God delivered him and protected him using a friend by the name of Jonathan, his wife, the name of Michal, 
And then Samuel and the prophets and God sent the Holy Spirit down and changed their intent and their mission. And they all wound up praising God instead of accomplishing the mission of Saul. 